Ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea how we got this far, but we're on episode 10 of the Snobcast, and this month I am so excited because once again joining me is my much smarter and more handsome co-host, Shay Simone, say hello. Hi everyone, how are you all doing today? I hope you're all as sane as I am. Which is Mama. not sane at all, for the record. Uh, and joining us as our special guest this month, I could not be any more thrilled or happy to have with me from the Giallo of the Month Club podcast. She's smarter than me, definitely. Diana Koch, say hi. Hi, I'm also more handsome than you. So that is barely <laughs> true because I'm pretty handsome. <laughs> barely. Thank you for having me. She is what? more handsome is than me. How you- we're going to treat our guests now, Will. Listen, I should stop inviting people who are better looking than me onto the podcast. That's what I need to stop doing. Spicy. It's very spicy in here. It's, well, you know, anytime <laughs> Shay's here, it's going to be spicy. She's a spicy meatball. That's why I have her around. Oh, that's very true. I mean, let's look how I'm dressed right now. I don't know about all that. Uh, I did want to make a shout Already. out and I wanted to let everybody know that this episode and every episode going forward is dedicated to the memory of my mother who just passed away on the 4th. Uh, I love you, mom. You're the best. And I miss you. Uh, This month, I am absolutely thrilled that we have Diana here because her specialty, as her podcast would indicate, is giallo films. And for those who are uncultured swines, Diana, could you tell them what a giallo film is? Absolutely. Um, Giallo, but we'll just say giallo because we're not Italian. Um, It's a cycle of stylish Italian crime films that peaked in the late 1970s. The actual word giallo means yellow in Italian, and it refers to the yellow covers of the detective novels, which were adapted into the first films. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, so the whole, the film, filmatic giallo is based on literary giallo. And the of those are yellow. Um, dating back to 1929, these novels were part of a series associated with mystery, which brings us to the Jalo film. Um, the novels in the series were uh, by the likes of like Agatha Christie, Raymond Chandler, and Edgar Wallace. A Jalo film is also it's often cited as a 20th century Italian murder mystery film, as these novels were murder mysteries. The films contain elements from both the horror and thriller genre. And some would argue that that very simple description does not um, solidify the genre. There are many traits that make a film a giallo film. I like um, it. In the like film. It. Yeah, yeah. So it's very divisive. We'll get into that probably uh, later in the episode because this background on uh, Zoom right now is might be triggering my Jalo senses. <laughs> in in Italy, in the film industry, any genre had a very limited shelf life. Uh, so the classic Jalo grew from gothic horror and like proto Jalo thrillers from the early sixties. Uh, The evolution took place as the political climate of Italy was experiencing some trouble. So you'll kind of see a shift within like the early 60s films, which are more like police procedural types to as you get into like the early 70s, they get more stylish as the political climate evens out. And then into the 80s, they get like a little bit more bloodier. Um, 
yeah, the movies became just basically like more unsettled and the filmmakers try to outdo one another's kill scenes and gore effects as the years went on. And they kind of put characters and plots on the back burner um, at the height of the Jalo cycle. Um, or you could call it a filone, like filone is also, it's like Italian word for subgenre. It kind of encapsulates, hmm, I wouldn't even say it's subgenre. It's like genre times 10 because it can include so many different different types of films. Um, but the height of the Jalo filone um, occurred between 1968 and 1978. So like late 60s, late 70s. And then 1971 to 1973 were particularly successful. There were 65 Jalo films that came out between that two-year span, uh, most from prominent filmmakers like Dario Argento, Mario Bava, and Lucio Fulci. They had films that were in other genres as well, but some of the more notable Jalo films, you have like Bird with a Crystal Plumage, uh, that's like a Profondo Rosso, like Deep Red, those are very popular giallo films by Dario Argento. So those are like starter films if you're looking to get into the genre. Um, These films gave giallo its basic shape uh, as an outsider witnesses some crime, usually a murder. Sometimes the murder is successful, sometimes it isn't. Um, And it's something mostly usually happens in a European city. And giallo continued into the 80s and then it inspired like... um, you know, the slasher films that we know and love today. So it went less mystery as the years went on and more just straight slashers. And there's a division between the Jalo films called, which I, I love this, this division. It's M Jalo or F Jalo, which is male fronted Jalo or female fronted Jalo. Uh, for the M Jalo, it's the male lead has more of like a police procedural type and it's a little bit more stoic and serious um, and more of a mystery or like a detective film and then the f jalo films usually surround our female protagonists reflecting on her fragile mental state which those can be a little problematic because it's a mostly a damsel in distress and (laughs) i don't love that I, i some of them are like a strong female type but some of them are a little bit like woe is me and i'm like girl get a backbone (laughs) stop screaming start running yeah get your stuff together (laughs) Um, as I mentioned the the Jalo films they do include some repeated elements like throughout and that's what makes the genre there's red herrings visiting an eerie town or a town that you're not from as an outsider Uh, shots of eyeballs that's one of my favorite like cinematography wise shots of eyes I love that one um, J&B whiskey. If you see a J&B whiskey bottle, which is just a bottle, it's like a greenish bottle of whiskey with a yellowish cover or yellowish label. Um, that's a Jalo, or that's a nod to a Jalo. If you see it outside of the the genre, um, there is of course black leather leather gloves, crazy zooms, which I love. Um, and then one of my favorites is the power of women, which is what I just mentioned. Like I love when it's like a strong female protagonist. Um, usually those when it's a F Jalo and it's more of a strong female protagonist, those have more of a, um, more of a story behind them or like more of something to say than just a damsel in distress. I love it. I love it. You gave us Shall all I these. continue. No, you, 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 you gave us, you gave us the good old fashioned education there. And 
I'm glad you did because what we're going to do today, guys, is for our audience, we're going to pick a couple of Jalo films a piece, discuss them mm-hmm. and discuss their places in, you know, the hierarchy of everything that Diana just said there, because uh, there's a lot to digest there. Uh, and that genre, is, I could not have explained that any better than you did there. So what I'm going to do. Yeah. Is I'm can, I, I, can I just elaborate just a tad more yeah, just before course. we get into these lists because this is going to be divisive and I I love that we're doing this mm-hmm. um to pin down like the precise nature of a giallo film is extremely difficult um I personally do not include any film that the killer is supernatural like a witch to say um so that means to me like Dario Argento Suspiria is not a giallo film which Again, it's maybe a controversial statement as much as I love that film, but I stick to my Suspiria is not Jalo. Um, but I did bring two films with me that I think are great examples of a blueprint Jalo that was like a groundbreaking film that really like set the stage and then also a modern Jalo. And I'm really, really excited to talk about these movies. Well, then let's get to it. Give us your first choice. What was it? All right. So my first choice, I'll start with this blueprint blueprint one of mine it's mario bava's blood and black lace from 1964 it's from very early on in the giallo cycle mm-hmm. have either one of you seen it absolutely not okay <laughs> well it's now streaming on criterion channel and shutter so you can watch it on criterion or shutter uh this is a groundbreaking film within the subgenre. It's directed by Mario Bava, which you would recognize from Italian horror and other films um, within just the horror horror arena, um, house commentary, etc. And I'm sorry, not Harsh, that's Fulci, sorry. Um, but, but Blood and Black Lace includes themes of vanity, vice, and of course murder. It mixes beauty and danger in a very radical way. So it's a murder mystery, but it's just, it's not boring. It, it's beautiful to look at. The story surrounds the brutal murders of a Roman fashion house's models. So there's models getting off left and right. And it's committed by a mass killer in a desperate attempt to obtain a scandal reve- revealing diary. Um, it's often cited as the blueprint for Jalo films. It introduced a number of elements that became representative within the genre, like a cloaked killer dressed with black gloves, a trench coat hat, which you will see in probably all of the movies that we're recommending today. Um, And the film takes a voyeuristic approach to murder and fashion. Uh, This is apparent when it comes to its cast. They're very shiny and beautiful, high society on the outside, but underneath everyone has secrets and they're not who they seem. So it's a really good mystery. The cinematography, set design, costuming are to die for. Uh, Bava uses dramatically lit sets and the color red as foreshadowing for blood and death that's to come. And I think that's so smart. I mean, it's also just gorgeous. Like it's one of the most beautiful films that I've ever seen. Um, and if you, again, if you love Suspiria, while it's not Jalo, like you will die not literally, hopefully, uh, for, for the set designs in this film, like the colors, the lighting, it's just so, so gorgeous. Um, and it's the perfect counterpoint between um, like glamour and the grotesque. Like it has beautiful visuals, but like kills are really gnarly. The mystery is gnarly. Um, within, to like elaborate within the Jalo subgenre, like a lot of the movies took 
you know, their take on horror was stylish and bold to the point of being surreal. Like you could be within a dream and not even realize it. Um, every woman is glamorous. Every man is daring and boldly dressed. Um, and a frequent, another frequent element is that every American is like a famous author or fashion designer or like something creative. Like they, I don't know, in Italy, I guess they just assume that everyone in America just kind of had a um, very creative job. I don't know where that came from, but that's cool. <laughs> and since the cast is so extensive between with men and women, it's not an F Jollo or an M Jollo. Um, there's many different perspectives in this one, which I like because it's kind of it helps with the red herring aspect where you're there's not really a specific lead and you're, you know, uh, suspecting everyone. Um, yeah. And Italian directors like Baba, they weren't afraid to mix like high class, low brow um, within their films. And um, I just love this one because there was there was a lot of fashion as well, which my episode where I reviewed it, it was all about fashion and horror. And I think it's just it's just a cool film. And again, uh, the tropes within Blood and Black Lace introduced um, so many classic elements. You know, it's, it was released in 1964. And then from like 1964 to 1984, you had 20 years of movies trying to replicate the look and style and kills that Mario Baba implemented in this one um so that's that's my first pick <laughs> thank, I like it thank you for listening to, to my TED talk <laughs> <laughs> I like it I would assume that a movie called black uh you know blood blood and black lace would be fashionable and yes I gotta I tell so. you I love a fashionable film I love movies with great fashion design and and you know sharply dressed men and, and gorgeously dressed women and it's always that's always going to get me. So that's going to be on my list from Shudder. So, uh, cause I do have Shudder and if you guys don't have Shudder, get it. Cause it's pretty, really good. If you like horror and the adjacent genres, uh, including Jello. Uh, mm-hmm. Jay, what you got for me on this movie? What are you thinking? Um, I think it sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, and how you describe it. Um, although Jello um, is a very, oh, almost it feels very culturally specific because it is Italian that's where it originated but how you describe it and I, I'm trying to work it out in my brain how you're describing um the kind of the sources and the origins of the genre itself it, it, it feels like giallo is to Italian cinema and Italian filmmaking as like noir was for American uh cinema and American filmmaking and that kind of thing but it and you just have to admire that's that's definitely the main thing about giallo that attracts people i think that's the very first thing it's just like all the things that are going on visually when it comes to the fashion when it comes to all the artistic departments um they have to bring it up to like 200 percent as far as the visual factor goes um but where my my brain is also just trying to make the connection is um your statement on um giallo being separated from perhaps like the dark fantasy um that it it kind of started deriving and stuff would you say that you you kind of separate the two diana because uh giallo is basing it more off of like the source materials as in the books and stuff and more of like the murder mysteries uh with the like the fantastical elements kind of kind of as a result after after the fact is that is that where that comes from yeah so it's tough I struggle with that as like a so-called expert of the genre which I'm not like my podcast started as 
just an experiment to myself where I loved Spiria. It's my second favorite film of all time. And I've seen like all of these really like, like Blood and Black Lace and all these really notable Jalo films. But I wanted to go back to like the source material. I wanted to go back to like, just like the detective ones and even the novels. Uh, so each episode is usually a film that I have not seen before. Uh, and I try to, again, stay away from like Supernatural because as you mentioned, like, the source material the source material is like these mystery thrillers which you don't have agatha christie like writing about fantastical witches at a dance school you know so it's kind of like that's how i judge it is more of yeah more of like the source material i would i would say like it's it's less dreamlike or fantastical i would say that's more of like you could just call it maybe a supernatural jalo that's what sometimes i call that um like malignant is people are like that's jalo it's it's a jalo i'm like uh it's the it's supernatural so it's it's you know on the fence like yeah it has some aspects of of it and i also like another criteria that i i try to like like a little box that i like to tick is that if you know the killer off the bat, like right away, then there's no mystery. So it's not a Jalo, like Stage Fright, which is, I don't know if you've seen that one, but um, it's a, I believe it's, it was in the 80s. I reviewed it with um, Dylan, who w- William knows. Um, <laughs> Lovely film. It's, a, it's an awesome slasher film, but you know who the killer is from the beginning. So there's no mystery. Like, you know that it's like an escape, escaped like mental patient. So that's another criteria is where a lot of the films that I'll suggest to people, like I like to keep that mystery. Um, and while Blood and Black Lace like is gorgeous and I would, you know, put, put the visuals like right in line with something from Dario Argento, like that's pretty much like that's the extent of it is um, it's a, just a gorgeous murder mystery and that's that's how I I don't know it, but everyone has their own own judgment but I that's how I judge it is like it's based on these novels murder mystery grounded in reality that's where I that's how I judge it I love Absolutely. I love that I love that Shay yeah. what is your first pick um so uh, unlike Deanna, I am not a giallo expert. I do love slasher films. I love horror films, but I, uh, as a proud, proud American, I am not incredibly cultured when it comes to foreign cinema, especially 20th century, mid 20th century foreign cinema. So this was definitely like a tree and kind of just like my surface level education when it's, uh, when it comes to giallo. And, uh, it's also been like such a pleasure, like because we're, we're very familiar with modern cinema, but like finding and picking up the pieces from like different uh, modern films and putting them together and realizing where those influences come from was definitely exciting. But um, unfortunately, I, all my choices were um, supernatural giallo films. So Let's do I'm it. just gonna roll with it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's, uh, I actually have a, a companion to help me um, also introduce this first film. It is not what you would think. It, I don't think it would ever be anyone's first choice to talk about when it comes to this genre, but um, I just happened upon it. So we're just gonna go with it. This is my little friend, Ginger. She's a Japanese um, wasp and she is here to help me explain why I chose this movie. And the movie is Phenomena. Um, are also called Creeper by Dario Argento. 
That's divisive. I like it. (laughs) Yes, which is exactly why I chose it. But um, unlike the dignified reasons that you chose your film, Deanna, I chose my film for completely opposite reasons. Uh, I love Dario uh, Argento as a filmmaker. I love what he's done for for cinema. But um, this, this movie is completely bananas. Um, I, I expect you've seen it, Deanna. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Like I, I don't recommend it when someone asks for a Jalo film, but I will recommend it if they ask for an Italian horror film or like a horror Italian horror directed film. Yes. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very, uh, entertaining film again, like Suspiria, Dario kind of, um, play it like he he brings in like an American person in order to stand as like the the American everyman um which I I definitely feel like it helps uh with the exposure of the film Jenna a young Jennifer Connelly a year before filming Labyrinth actually stars in the movie um I have no idea how old she is she's like 15 14 she's just a baby in this and uh it kind of uh, I don't know. I don't know if it inspired these films, but it reminded me of films such as Carrie, Firestarter, Willard. Um, and the reason why that is, is it, it's centered around this young woman who gets stationed in Italy um, because uh, she's staying at a boarding school or something. And then there are murders happening, um, which might be able to help fit the bill as a giallo film, because although there are supernatural events, there also aren't and just a lot of stuff happens. Dario was just like, I like seeing murder, so I'm just gonna throw everything in there. Um, as you described, Yana, this also feels like a complete fever dream. Um, and basically it's about this young woman who just loves insects and she can communicate with them telepathically to the point of being able to summon as many insects as she pleases, which for whatever reason she seems to forget in the middle of the movie, but uh, you know, we're, we're just having fun. There's uh, a chimpanzee that also stars in the movie. Uh, a lot of people have stated that the chimpanzee is probably the best performance in the movie, which I would also agree with. Uh, Jennifer <laughs> Colony has not yet uh, yet reached the peak of her, her craft, um, which is still very entertaining to see. There's a lot of bugs, a lot of maggots. Um, it's incredibly camp. Uh, but uh, you still, you know, you still get the the giallo Dario Argento trademarks. A lot of faces being thrown into windows, uh, glass shattering and falling. Lots of blood at random aspects in the movie. Lots of violence. Um, it, it, it's just a really fun, really campy whodunit uh, that still incorporates. I think this. I believe this came quite a bit, like a couple years after Suspiria. Mm-hmm. And it surprised me by how different it was just because it, it, it feels a lot like watching Sleepaway Camp. Um, and it, it, it's still this very random whodunit, but I, I was hooting and hollering during the entire time watching this movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah, like Deanna said, I definitely wouldn't recommend this as anyone's first Giallo film. Um, <laughs> now I'm thinking, I don't know if it necessarily counts as like a purely giallo film, but it was entertaining. Dario Gento was great in it. You got 80s Jennifer Colony and Connelly, whatever, however you say her last name. And you got a bunch of bugs. Connelly. Connelly. Yeah, she like she's playing with bee, like fake giant 
and fake bumblebees and, and bugs and flies and she's just staring at them and just the horrible ADR is also a, a consistent characteristic in his films, which I, it, it's funny, me, me and my partner were watching, um, what was it, Deep Red the other night and we were very confused because of the ADR. So that's also another little joy that comes with watching an Arto film in the 80s and 70s. I totally um, and agree. That is yes. <laughs> I, I agree. I, it's all part. I, I've seen this one, Shay. You've seen it. I have seen this one, and I did not like it. <laughs> it was Fair not. Enough, I'm not gonna it. It's campy. <laughs> it's campy. It's, it's pure camp. I mean, I mean if you, you know, it would the, be a good double feature with that. Um, so it's. Uh, technically i wouldn't say it's a jalo i would say it's more of like a whodunit i don't i don't know which um actually the last episode of jalo of the month club my theme was a who was whodunit it's just the the very origin of like agatha again like agatha christie novels whodunit which then led to jalo novels which then led to the films um tenebrae which is personally that's my favorite jalo it's not my second pick on this on on this episode but i wanted to shout out tenebrae which came out three years before um the movie that you recommended and i think they would both be a good double feature because tenebrae is like a very like slashery 80s jalo and it's fun and also your your pick was fun is fun as well yes uh can you describe tenebrae for people who don't so it's about this writer who um, has all has these murders surrounding him. And it's actually based on like a real life event that Argento where Argento had a stalker. Um, and it's it's about just like this writer's public image. I, I kind of don't want to give away. I don't know with any like murder mystery. I don't want to give too much details, but there's um, a bunch of great iconic kills. There's like an arm slicing and then just blood which is was actually I was struggling with my background before this episode mm-hmm. so I don't have a background right now but my usual zoom background is the blood splattered wall from Tenebrae <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just the kills are so good um and Argento used his uh like used Tenebrae to address his like own public image image in the 80s where people were saying that he's e- extremely misogynistic um, and they called him like a criminal and a murderer. Uh, so he kind of um, included all of those aspects into into ten- Tenebrae and there it's like metafiction. And I like that aspect of it as well. I'm actually going to stop you on that point because I want to discuss that particular issue as well as a couple other issues with this genre in a little bit mm-hmm. after we're done with our picks because there's there's so much to unpack there that I want to unpack it separately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My first pick, which is also on Shudder, uh, is called What Have You Done to Solange from 1972, directed by Massimo Dallamano. Uh, this is a movie. It's a about, rough one. It, what's that? It's a rough one. It's a, yes. That's a rough one. Yeah, it is. It's about a teacher who basically has to prove his innocence, but doesn't want to prove his innocence uh, because he may be connected to murders at, the, at this school. It's there's a lot of murder, and uh, it, the reason it's rough is because it doesn't pull punches on the violence or on the nudity. There's a lot of boobs <laughs> and a lot of murder. And I, I I can tell you this. Uh, I saw this one when I was about 
I'd say 20 years old. I was, I saw this one. And so I rewatched it on shutter and I was like, Oh dear Jesus, why did I like this? And then I, <laughs> as the movie unfolded and, and started to kind of unravel itself, I'm like, Oh, okay. This is actually kind of smarter than most of these movies in regards to, you know, it holds its mystery a little bit close. You kind of, you, you think maybe the guy did what he's, you know, claiming to be innocent of doing and, it, the the film is weird have you have you guys seen it have you seen it shay Mm-mm. i've never even heard of that diana hit us with it <laughs> i've seen it i've seen it um so what have you done to solange um oh god what year was that 72, 72? yeah yeah 72 um yeah so it's like a uh, murders are happening in a, a Catholic school, which makes it kind of extra icky because these girls are clearly underage. Mm-hmm. Um, and some there's like some sl- not just the murders. That's you know whatever if they're underage. Not like I'm condoning murdering children or anything. Uh, <laughs> but like I mean, some of the other icky things that happen. <laughs> um, so it's like a Catholic girls school in London. Uh, several students are murdered. Then a professor is wrote. This isn't really a spoiler spoiler because you kind of give away a little bit romantically involved with one of the students so he doesn't want that to come out so he's being like a little sketchy with trying to hide that mm-hmm. um and it's well known that one actually is like well known in like two subgenres. so it's one in jo- like jolly from the 70s and then also it's exploitation like mm-hmm. it's 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 sleazy it's exploitative like it's no very well known in like the exploitation genre um being yeah i mean listener warning it's it's there's themes of abortion underage sex it's yeah i mean it comes with some trigger warnings and and i mentioned this one first because i like i said there's a lot of icky stuff that happens in some of these films and i wanted to unpack that separately but i picked this one so i could highlight that these films have some portions of them that in the modern sense would uh get the entire film the entire director and most of the cast canceled uh mm-hmm. and and that's what i think is so interesting is in 72 uh, they just didn't even give two fucks about it they're just like yeah whatever put it out the structure the structure of that film is very interesting because you have like the first half of the film which focuses on like the protagonist which is the guy that's having an affair like it's it's a it's like an m jollo because the protagonist is a male but mm-hmm. also like you don't really root for him because he's having an affair with his student. But anyway, the first half is, you know, is that is like focusing on the fair, the protagonist and his fair. And then like the second, um, and then there's like melodrama into like the second, like the midsection. And then the second half is like once um, some element is fixed and then we're trying, then he's trying to like solve the murder. So it's a very, um, it's very the structure of that film is very interesting because it's it's very like melodramatic the first half and then the second half is like detective like he's on like a mission and would you say that this one fits nice and tight into that just regular giallo subgenre yeah i i would say it's more of like it's like an exploitation giallo because it is i mean to be quite frank a lot of Jolly films are boring because they have the same structure. So I like when it's a little different. And like this one was, I mean, this one, I didn't like the icky parts of it, but this one kept you engaged. 
Um, so yeah, I would say if it's in, it's one of, it's one of the more popular ones. I don't recommend it just because it is a little like sleazy and, you know, could, it's, could be triggering to some it's people. It's very gross. Yeah, it is. It is on shutter though, along with a lot of other gross shit. Uh, <laughs> so if you guys want to watch it, it's on there. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't say I recommend it. It is one that I've seen that I would say, if you want to get like a, a glimpse into what the genre is and mixed with exploitation. This will, this will do the job. It does have a great score though, by Ennio Morricone, who is, yeah, you, you, based on your reactions, you know who that is. Um, For the listener, iconic uh, Italian film composer. For, I mean, like Quentin Tarantino films is like what you would probably know him from. If you, you haven't seen any, any Jolly or Jolly, which is the plural, any Mm -hmm. Jolly. Um, But yeah, Ennio Morricone. So, I mean, that's worth a watch just, just for the score. Or worth a listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or worth a listen, <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, I, I love that <laughs> now. Yeah, it's very few composers who I could say that I actively listen to the soundtrack before I, I watch the movie. And Ennio Morricone is definitely that composer for me. Yeah, There's actually a, a vinyl record that came out um it was sometimes within the last two years. I remember, I specifically remember it was during pandemic times that it's Ennio Morricone, like Jallo film scores. Um, and the cover of the record is yellow and looks like a Jallo novel. <laughs> so for anyone interested in some Jallo, Jallo music, uh, that's a good one to seek out because it looks like a Jallo novel and it's Ennio Morricone. I love that choice. I think that's really, really fucking cool. Diana, you've yeah. given us so much, and we're going to ask you to give us one more thing, and that is your second pick for this particular podcast. All right. Not- I would, I, this is absolutely like a delight for me. I love sharing. <laughs> so, my second pick, I said it was a good example of a modern Jalo which is a little bit of a tease because it is a modern film, but it's actually set back in 1979. It is Knife Plus Heart, um, which is a French Jalo film. I almost from picked 2018. it. I'm glad you it. didn't. Oh. I'm glad you didn't. I, did I can it. talk about it. Go for it. Go for it. It's an amazing film, though. Yeah. Um, so Knife Plus Heart, it was directed by Jan Gonzalez. It's a horror thriller set in summer of 1979 there's a paris based filmmaker named anne who is the producer of third rate gay porn uh, <laughs> after her editor <laughs> i love that like even that i'm like i'm there that's my that's my jam <laughs> um, after her editor and lover leaves her she tries to win her back by shooting her most ambitious film um with her trusted side kick Archibald who is my favorite character he's the best um Anne's cast of actors begin to be stalked and murdered one by one by a serial killer who covers his face with a black leather hood and the cops of course should have mentioned this earlier as another Jallo trope the cops are completely useless they're always useless useless (laughs) cops that's like a another box (laughs) um so Anne decides to lead an investigation of her own yeah so speaking of like a sleazy tone it has more of a campy sleazy tone versus what have you done to Solange um I find that specific sleazy tone to be very true to the time period of the 70s especially considering it takes place in the porn industry um 
for some, like, they might find the campy tone to be a turnoff, but I love that part of this movie. The cinematography is amazing. It was shot on 35 millimeter film. It's lush. It's gritty. There's pops of red and blue. Oh, I just, yeah, I, it's like such a nod to all of the Jolly films that I actually adore from the actual 70s. Um, and the soundtrack by M83 has the perfect sense of playfulness that fits the style of film. Um, it's a re- really great soundtrack. I would just recommend it even if you're not like watching the film. Um, it's by M83. And if you guys and aren't familiar with uh, M83, they are French DJs. They're famous for their song. Uh, don't remember the fucking title, but it goes. <laughs> it. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the director's brother also is part of M83. has utilized him um, in soundtracks in films before. So that would be no surprise to me at all. Yeah, I think there's like a sibling like a sibling or like a a family something going on there um but i mean speaking of just like bonds and and personality i think um you know one of the aspects of knife plus heart that i really like that is not in a lot of other jalo films which i mentioned you know could be boring or a little bit bland um this one tends to be very uh celebratory of its characters and they're outlandish and each but each one of them is so different and they all like they're all memorable and some other giallo it just tends to be very narratively focused and lacking additional plot plot threads or personality when it comes to the characters like you're like oh that person got killed i don't really care about them but in knife plus heart like you genuinely get to care about the characters um and that's that's like one of the aspects of this film that like i absolutely adore and that's why i recommend it and I like to describe Knife Plus Heart as a postmodern queer fever dream because, again, you have this brilliant cinematography, this great music, and some scenes that are totally just outlandish. And you're like, is this a dream? Like, what is happening in this movie? I love it. Um, it's fantastic. Knife Plus Heart, it's streaming on Shutter and Canopy. Watch it. Yeah, actually, um, and I, I almost get, it's really funny because we're definitely on the same wavelength, um, but luckily I have backups, but um, I, even though it is a French film, I definitely felt like I, I owed it uh, a mention for sure, because it, it, like you say, it definitely wears all of its influences on its sleeve, but um, versus films, like there, there every now and then in Giallo films, there is like, queerness involved in some way not necessarily being antagonized but you know just in a way where it's just kind of almost fleeting or it's used as a plot mechanism but as you say in knife and heart um the characters are all there and it's just like such a wonderful ensemble and you're actually rooting for characters like you're i think that's very rare also for a giallo film for you to be like no please don't murder them you know i don't want them to go yet but you it, it, it's still like incredibly creative. It's it's such a feast for the eyes, the performances. Um, the lead actress is Vanessa, and I'm gonna screw up her last name because it's French, but Vanessa Paradis or something like that. Um, she gives like an amazing performance as this spunky kind of just like, um, she, she almost kind of reminds me of uh, Leslie Note from Parks and Recreation, but just the pornographer version of her. Um, so she just goes out on her own, 
she yeah she kind of spirals into this this madness following her her investigation the slasher aspect you know you have the whodunit aspect you have the blood you have um the appreciation of filmmaking itself even within the how the porn industry or even at least like her little branch of, of pornography is displayed you're almost just like wow that actually looks like a lot of fun you know um and just how the film wraps itself up um just like in every aspect it just hits the mark artistically and there are some scenes where it it still does bring itself back to the the giallo influences and the giallo roots where it's just like oh I don't know if I wanted to see that but I saw it you know and it, it gives you a a nice kind of almost bittersweet but also like really delicious balance of just everything that you you can get from a giallo film but in the modern day so I'm I'm really happy that that you you spoke on that film because I I have a great love for it and it's just one of those random films that I came across and I'm so glad I did I had no idea what it was but you know piecing together the history behind it it's just it's a really, it's a really great pulpy film. It's a very pulpy movie. Yeah. I love that pick, Dan. I think that that, I thought that that film was really good when I first saw it. And I really think that the French, especially in recent times, as far as the horror genre goes, they've just been doing all kinds of different stuff and making some really interesting things. And uh, this is definitely one of them. And I mean, you know, whether, whether they're making, gore fests this type of like giallo inspiredness or heavy thrillers like revenge they t- they just tend to understand tension you know in, in their films and and even this one there's a little bit of tension there and like 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 shay was mentioning you don't want the characters to uh to go but you know it, you understand the nature of what the movie is and you're like oh god damn it ah I'm frustrated yeah. now. And you get frustrated with the movie. And that's the best part about watching something like this is that you get frustrated. And I love it. This is why she's here, guys, because she's way better at picking <laughs> these movies than I would have been. I mean, of- I would akin like the the I mean, there's like one kill that's like embedded in my brain forever that I'm like, oh, that's totally like inspired by like a Lucio Fulci, like eye slicing close up. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of trauma. You're never going to unsee it. But this, you gotta watch this movie. And there's also the French man. They're so smart. There's this one scene. It's kind of early on, where uh, our main character, our protagonist, is uh, she's in a police precinct, and it cuts from a police precinct to uh, the same scene being shot in the porno. And it's so smart and quick that you don't really realize it, and it's. It's just smart, and I love Knife Plus Heart so much. I think I screamed when I saw that because <laughs> you you have to give a movie props that can display very very serious horrible things happening, but still bring in that camp where it, it still is able to find humor in itself like that. Yeah. It's just it's. A- I yeah. love that. I want to make two points real quick. The first one is all eye slicing scenes owe themselves to Salvador Dali's Unshin Andalou anyway, because uh, that's the original. That's the OG I, I slice scene. Uh, and two, we're shooting this on March 9th, this particular podcast. There is a film coming out on the 15th that we may be discussing after we're done here uh, that is of a similar ilk to Knife Plus Heart in regards to the fact that it deals with pornography. Ooh, uh, 
a little X for you? Uh, just a couple of X-rated uh, options here. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> what is your, but in regards to that, what is your second pick, Jay? What you got for me? Damn. Okay. So I, <laughs> I was actually going to choose uh, Knife Plus Heart, but thankfully, because I am who I am, I brought up a backup. And uh, I'm just gonna go for it because this one, it's not gonna be me speaking on the film as much as I, I wanna hear other people's takes on it because this film was incredibly just uh, divisive, I think when it came out, especially for me. I do not remember if I even wrote the review on it, but it's an incredibly recent film. Um, and I wanna talk about it specifically in contrast to the original and it is, a Suspiria remake. I and I, I'm I'm very interested in, in hearing what you guys have to say about it. But starting it off, kicking it off, in contrast to the original Dario Argento film, um, it's a completely different take. Completely different take. Um, using the same sort of plot elements, the same sort of iterations of the characters, but but twisting them and and contriving them into what what is even more of a, a really messed up messed up uh, dark fantasy situation so it's still witches it's still ritual um and we get probably some of the the goriest most grueling hard to watch scenes of that sort of era some of the most violent imagery that you could ever subject yourself to in a theater with other people at least at the time um it's featuring like like how uh you had a fantastic a fantastic composer uh goblin for the original Suspiria. we instead have tom york who takes uh an also completely completely different take on how to score this film um but also like completely nails it in my opinion will i know you don't like radiohead but that's too bad so sad because i listened to that soundtrack also on repeat <laughs> but, i do not um, yeah stop stylistically okay stylistically um even the performances have incredible range and and i wouldn't necessarily even say versatility but it's it's definitely trying to to i don't know enact something and it's it's just overall a very confusing and disorienting film while the original its source material was very stylized and very camp and very much more of a straightforward horror film um and i have a lot of opinions different opinions on it but mostly i want to hear your guys's opinions on it especially yours deanna's seeing that it it's pretty much the most re other than knife plus heart it's pretty much the most recent iteration or addition to the the giallo kind of uh grouping there and so i <laughs> Not a fan of New Suspiria. <laughs> please, please tell why. Please Not a fan. <laughs> I, I mean, it's too long. It could be forty minutes shorter, or you could just go without like the Tilda, Tilda Swinton dresses a dude storyline. Mm -hmm. Get rid of actually get rid of that, and I would probably love that movie. Mm -hmm. um, I think just all like the Berlin Wall and the dude stuff. Not for me. Um, and this has like nothing to do with me being like such a lover of, of OG Suspiria uh, because, you know, I try to have an open mind. I loved um, Call Me By Your Name. Like I'm into it. I'm a Dakota Johnson fan. Um, 
I do really enjoy like that third act when things pop off and right. the gore is the gore is great, but overall it just didn't do much for, it was just, I don't know. It didn't do much for me. I would say it's actually even, even further from a Jalo than, than OG Suspiria. <laughs> even been. further. Um, it's just in a different, it's just in a different category. Like that, that's all. Um, and I can see why some people like it. It just wasn't for me and it didn't have, um, I actually just wish it just wasn't called Suspiria. Like I just wish it was its totally own thing. And then I would probably like it. Wow. Well, I I like that. So I want to start by saying Luca Guadagnino is such a great visual director. He's so good at making things look pretty. Uh, And that's what he did that right in the Suspiria remake. He, He definitely made it look pretty. And I love Dakota Johnson. She's in probably my favorite film of 2022 so far. Uh, which is called Cha Cha Real Smooth, guys. You guys should check that one out when it comes out. Uh, and when you combine the two, you would think you'd make this un- f- unflappable thing. But let me tell you, let me start with this. I don't like the score for that movie. Ooh, I don't. It's I, amazing. But, but I don't like Radiohead either. Radiohead can go jump off a cliff. They make me, they, I call them radio nod my head because they make me want to fall asleep. Uh, okay, okay. You already Moving know on. this, Shay. You already know this, Shay. Uh, the Suspiria remake is way too fucking long. Why is that thing almost three hours? Uh, I, I like what you said there, Diana. I think that you're right when you say you could cut out the Tilda Swinton stuff. I just think you should just trim 40 minutes anywhere. Trim, trim, trim 35, 35, 40 minutes anywhere. And, you know, it, it, it'll still make just as much sense as it did end up making sense. You know what I mean? But don't take out most anything out of that third act. You're right. That is the, it, as it's supposed to be, that's the best part of the movie. That's a movie that is saved by its third act for me. I it, it would have been like a, a D plus or a C minus. The third act makes it like a C plus or a B minus for me. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. So um, to, to bring it all together, I um I've had such a strange. It's one of those movies where I've had such a strange relationship, like kind of love hate relationship, because. We we all feel it. There's an amazing, fantastic movie in there somewhere. But um, yeah, I completely with, agree with you guys in that. I, I think, honestly, they could have shaved a whole hour off of it. And I think it, it's not just a duration thing. It's definitely a thing um, where the director, he reminds me a lot of, and I hope no one takes offense to this if you do. Honestly, I don't care. But he, he reminds me a, a lot of uh, Denis Villeneuve. Sorry if I messed up his name but he's also a fantastic visual director who just takes all these ideas but throws so much in there that it becomes incredibly indulgent so for the Suspiria remake I think honestly it could because it's it's about witches it's got plenty of gore it's beautifully scored in my opinion um the and the the performances are all pretty fantastic um honestly like I I don't know if my vision was bad that day or what, but honestly, it went totally over my head that Tilda Swinton was playing that old dude. I was just like, why is that? Does the old dude have to do with anything? Why is he here? Why is there a tiny little old German man just like in the movie randomly? It turns out they like Tilda Swinton just wanted to play an old little German man. That's fine. Um, but definitely from the very beginning, from the very moment the film started, um, you have this beautiful score that that starts over all this imagery that's thrown at you and then on top of it they decided to make 
the very specific editing choice to put this very grotesque, very distracting, loud snoring right on top of it. So as much as it is like, it could have been a pretty, like much more polished film. I think it was just going too far into the director's self-indulgence. I feel like he, he's a fantastic director, but he should not edit his own films. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, other indulgent directors that have the same issue, especially when they're as entrenched in Hollywood as they are. I think from Call Me By Your Name, I've also um, seen certain criticisms about like how that film was edited in, in certain scenes and stuff. I feel like Suspiria just takes that issue and is just completely ruined by it. And I would love to see the opposite of a director's cut, you know? I need to see someone re completely re-edit the movie, make it just 90 minutes, you know, put all that pulp in there, center it more on Dakota Johnson, um, even more than it already is. And then I think you go from a D plus to um, an A minus movie, you know? Um, but it, 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 it's a film that makes me very sad. Uh, and it's very separate. We're, we're kind of straying away from the giallo topic now, but yeah, it's a movie that I think about a lot because it makes me upset that it, I feel like it's something that I should have loved and something that I could easily just resort back to all the time and has so many elements working for it, but it's just completely, completely kind of like drenched in, in the director's ego. And I think that's the problem there, which I think in a way also kind of brings it back to uh, directors in general decide to show and what not to show as far as like editing, duration, and taboo subjects go, um, including in the giallo genre, you know, what to show or what not to show, especially when they're, they're trying to work against uh, censorship and, and um, conservative mindset and all that. But yeah, uh, thank you for validating my feelings on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it i love it i i'm in the same um ballpark as you where i'm like i wish i loved that movie like i would love to have loved it <laughs> um but next time i think that um guadagnino needs to uh, just give me like the cut and then i'll just make some edits and then it'll be perfect i would i would love to see what you would make out of that that would be such that would be an a plus movie right there let's get it let's get the the diana cut right now let's get it <laughs> yes. I would love to see that. So I guess that makes it my turn. I want to start by saying uh, my other film is also on Shutter. But Shay, do you know what I saw was on Shutter when I was looking through there? Do tell. A film we talked about a few podcasts ago, Seder. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna name drop that movie. The, yeah. the one of the best movies of the year that absolutely no one saw. I didn't see it. I want to see it. You should oh, watch it. it on Shutter. It is so good. It's very good. It's amazing. I actually finally it's watched a- it, Shay. I agree with your review. So I, I agree know. with what you said. <laughs> now, while I was looking in there, I was also in the section labeled S, and I saw a film that is more of an homage to the Giallo, and it is a French-Belgian film from 2013 called The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. Ooh. that is uh, another one that I wish that I loved, but go ahead. I I didn't say I loved it. I said I saw it. (laughs) Um, This one here. I like that. 
Yes. See, that's the thing. This one here is about a man trying to basically it's very simple. It's a very simple storyline. As most shallows are a man trying to find his wife. There you go. Uh, shit happens. I mean, what else is there to say? It's directed by Elaine Cartier and uh, Bruno Forzani. I think I said her last name right. Cartier. Yeah, probably. My French accent is so legit, you know. Ooh, and I, another French one. I like I it. Definitely, it's French Belgian, and so there is hints of Flemish in it as well. Yeah, um, I can't understand a goddamn thing they say anyway. So doesn't really. No, matter. it's the the filmmakers they made. Um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on this? Um, Let the corpses tan which played at like Fantastic Fest a few years ago. And then it was like doing its film, like a film festival cycle for like two years. I love that movie. And they also did a mirror, which is also a Jalo film, but let's talk about strange colors. Uh, the best thing about this movie isn't the movie itself. It's actually the poster. The poster is fucking phenomenal. If you guys have not seen the poster for this movie it is fucking phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I would, I want it hung in my wall because it's so nice. Um, this, this particular film I can't, like I said, I can't say that I loved it. I, I just found it to be a little bit too, I would say straightforward and not much of a surprise as to what happens in the movie. There was not enough suspense and a lot of the scenes that should have been held just a slight bit longer were cut off or cut to or cut from. And that's just bad direction. And I thought with a little bit tighter direction, this thing could have probably been a little bit better. But that's just yeah. You see it. So I wouldn't even say direction. I would say more of a script, more of a screenplay. Yeah, because that's that's a big issue Um, too. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, this is a total like art house film. The visuals are so good. It's a gore. I mean, you know, if you're a Suspiria fan or a Blood and Black Lace fan, like this one, the visuals are very much inspired by those films. There's a ton of like neon lights and and shadows and just very beautiful, beautiful setting and cinematography um but as visually stunning as it is like it doesn't really add up to much there's not much of a plot thread like stuff doesn't add up um i would suggest this one for jalo enthusiasts only so if you've gone through like the entire catalog of jalo and you're like oh i don't have anything else to watch or i want to watch something that's like very different watch strange color of your body's tears there's but a, do not make that one of your first films yeah there's also some homages to other giallo in regards to the soundtrack yeah yeah like they're using two or three different other pieces of music there's even a marconi piece in there uh yeah and, uh-huh. and it's a it's a good soundtrack and I, I think that the soundtrack is pretty good i don't know that the soundtrack meshes well enough with the movie itself but it's, good it's i mean you're completely right like there's Jalo nods everywhere like taking taken from films from like as far back from like 69 um there's like so sweet so perverse black belly of the tarantula short night of glass dolls um eyeball there's this movie called the killer nun like yes they they took some good good songs from other movies and put in this one but it doesn't always mesh but it's, it's nice to listen to yes Yes, yeah. the, the soundtrack for this uh, movie is much more of a banger than the movie itself is. So I definitely would have people. I recommend you seek out the soundtrack for sure because it's so it's such a good listen. But yeah, the movie struggles. It's a little yeah. bit boring, and you know, I I just couldn't find I couldn't find myself up to finishing. 
I would suggest their other two films. Um, Amir is another Jalo type film, but it has a little bit more substance. Uh, then let the corpses tan is more of a exploitation western, um, not Jalo, but it's it has like it's has a cool setting like on a ocean side cliff, and there's like shootouts and gold and cool cool shots. I don't know. I I really like that movie. That was on my top ten list. Um, I don't know whatever year it came out. It's really weird because I saw it like two years before it actually like came out, so I don't even know what year. 2017 there you go. <laughs> maybe maybe i might have seen it okay it was probably on my 2019 list because i think yeah. that's when it like rose released but yeah um yeah i know some people that like love art house films that really like that one so if that's your thing sure i struggle yeah. with them because there was a few like there's that one bliss that came out a few years ago that i fucking hated that's what I <laughs> that was a very divisive movie also which it as as far as what I saw when I heard from you Will it was like what you guys are saying about this movie style over substance correct wait Joe what's his name Joe what's Joe is that the one I'm thinking of yeah you, you are yeah okay 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 I think you were yeah, sitting I mean, with was... me to see that one I think you were with me probably I mean it was fine it, it was it was fine <laughs> It was not fine. It was awful. <laughs> it was I much preferred the Mickey Reese film that you and I saw together. That was much better. Oh, um, oh my gosh. Why am I blanking on that? Like one? the Night of the Hunter or something like that. Yeah, Night of the Hunter. There you go. Yeah, gosh, that, that one also had a very long festival run. Yeah, it just came out this year, last year. Like two years. Yeah, it came out right, last but year. It, like yeah. we saw it like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, amazing. It was good. It was good. I didn't um, like his last one, but it was good. Yeah, I like that one. That was cool. Yeah, see, and that's the the fun thing about these festivals. Sometimes they're hit or miss, and sometimes you see stuff, and then like eight thousand years later, it comes out. You're like, hey, I remember that. That actually siphons into our next subject so perfectly. Perfect. Because have you ever seen? a trailer for a movie or you saw a movie at a festival and you're like, where the hell did that movie even go? And it either never comes out or all of a sudden it's on like showtime. And you're like, when the hell was that in the theater? If that's happened to you guys, (laughs) that's what we're going to talk about right now. And I, and I, and I only gave them a bit of time to find a choice for this. But of course, as usual, being a gentleman, we're going to start with our guest who also happens to be a lady. Uh, Diana, what you got? Um, So mine is... (laughs) A big dumb space movie that I saw the trailer for before seeing Scream 2022. Uh, Moonfall, I think is its name. Um, did that come out? It did. It, yes, it came out okay. the same week as Jackass last month. Well, I saw Jackass. Yeah, I like that one. Um, I saw the trailer before Scream and was like, wow, look at this movie and then i saw on like film twitter people you know reviewers asking when the embargo was up and 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 such but i never heard that anyone actually saw the movie so did it come out i i guess same weekend as jackass it did and it's not good okay (laughs) i remember seeing uh, like just a little sprinkling of advertising for it but the the giovanni ribs ribibski looking dude who's a little a little bigger with the glasses and then that's about it 
And I, I keep forgetting about that movie, but I've been seeing the trailer for, for quite a bit. It, it's been making like a theatrical trailer spot here and there, but. I called it yeah. big dumb space movie, but also like stuff is happening on earth. I don't, I'm not sure if there's aliens. I'm really, I'm not sure if it's a like weather related film. I just, I'm not sure what's going on and I haven't seen it. So I could not tell you. Allow me. Uh, <laughs> so the Giovanni Rabisi looking fellow she's talking to is about is John Bradley from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, oh. And uh, Moonfall is about a force of nature has knocked the moon off of its axis and it no longer rotates around the earth and is instead hurling towards it. It's Rowan Emmerich. Don't think too hard on it, Daniel. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, but this cast, man, you got like Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones guy. Come Mm -hmm. on, man. Michael Pena. So much money made on the film and that drives me insane. Do you know how many other movies we could have made with the budget for this one? Yeah. It's a Roland Emmerich movie. <laughs> I think it's, you know, definitely keeping in mind who the director is. I think that's the kind of movie you can definitely expect, but how you describe it, Will, I have a, a story off the top of my head that could possibly fill that void of what the story may may not have been able to satisfy. And that's uh, the new, it's not a newer release, but it's uh, it just got recently released in the U.S., which is Junji Ito's Remina, about a planet who uh, starts attacking the Earth. So I think that's the closest thing that could, that could um, kind of satisfy that, if you're looking for any, of, any kind of that large-scale planet stuff. Yeah, just watch anything other than Moonfall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, How about you guys? What, what have you forgot about? <laughs> What you got there? Oh, <laughs> oh, me? Okay. Um, for me, it's it's like it's mostly just because you know, considering the times and what the film industry has had to go through the last couple of years, which that's crazy that I've had to say it, it's been a couple of years. Um, so there have been a couple movies now where I've been looking forward to them ever since I was nineteen, twenty, and I'm a jaded 22 year old now. Um, And I've talked about these movies before, actually. I specifically remember one of these movies, the first movie I'm gonna mention, um, talking about it on one of our older episodes. And it's probably been a year since that episode, at least. Um, And it's been delayed. There is going to be, there is a release date, I believe, but um, it's the Guillermo del Toro uh, produced film Antlers, which I've been waiting for forever to see and I don't even know if it's going to be worth it at this point but um oh I saw that you know, it That's came out already. somewhere it's on HBO it's like HBO isn't it mm-hmm. yeah I saw it on HBO um hey what if the monster was trauma all along wait what the Babadook oh huh uh, ah. uh. <laughs> yeah so I think I think that was mostly just it was all antlers. That was the one movie that I was waiting for um, for years and years and got delayed and delayed. Um, so I guess I'll have to stream it now. I, I, I was looking forward to seeing it in theaters, but I don't know. I don't know. But uh, other than that, uh, the, the French Dispatch, I know it already got released, but it was such a soft, quiet release 
that I actually completely forgot that it got released at all. And it's I was okay. looking so forward to it. You didn't miss anything. Also on HBO. Also on HBO. It is. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing. And it's really kind of sad that, you know, these these movies had so much hype behind them um, when when they started the, the marketing tour and all that. And now I, I haven't heard anyone talk about the French Dispatch, if at all positively. Um, so there's also that one. Uh, there was a smaller film called The Protégé that I was kind of looking forward to seeing. And then I was in Target the other day and I saw that they had already released the DVD for it, which I was, wasn't Sam, Samuel Jackson or someone was in that. And yeah. I was like, ooh, that was like fun action, little action thriller. Man, like any um, movies that came out in the theater within the last two years had like just some of them, not any, but some of them had just like a very quick like theatrical run and then just got put out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will I will say, Shay, it is kind of disappointing that the Scott Cooper movie about trauma is better than the Wes Anderson movie uh, in general. <laughs> I like the Leah Sadu um, portion. I, I did for two reasons, left and right. Yeah. 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 Great. Leah and Sadu. Um, speaking of that, it's uh, uh, March's Women's History Month. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, before you go to your last pick, I had some Jalo films that I wanted to recommend for um, International Women's Month. Do yes, it. please. Yeah. Um, so these are my three favorite well, top female-led Jalo films for just, you know, celebrate this month. Um, first up, we have All the Colors of the Dark from 1972. Uh, it's a psychedel- psychedelic Jalo, a little satanic, loose. I call it psychedelic Jalo because it's not straightforward, uh, but it stars Jalo Queen, like one of the most gorgeous women you will ever see in your life, Edwidge Finnick, um, brunette, angular eyebrows, eyeliner, hottie. She's awesome. <laughs> Um, it's by Sergio Martino, who, who directed Torso, Strange Vices, Miss Ward. He's kind of like a, a Jalo staple, but also like an Italian horror staple. Um, yes, All the Colors of the Dark, amazing film. Uh, second up is Perfume of the Lady in Black from 74. This stars a blonde Jalo queen who is great at being um, having a fragile psyche. It's Mimsy Farmer. She's really great at playing unbalanced. This is like a total psychological thriller woman in peril it's a cool one um and then the psychic from 1977 which is lucio fulci directed it's a really cool plot device that are of our lead protagonists can see into the future she sees this murder happen but she doesn't know who what when where why it's happening um tad supernatural with that kind of psychic aspect but that's a really good one um, and Fulci, I misquoted earlier saying Baba made House by Cemetery, but Fulci did House by Cemetery, The Beyond, Zombie, and another um, Jalo film that I would recommend called Don't Torture a Duckling. Um, so, I mean, these filmmakers and like these three female-led Jalo, I would recommend. And a uh, happy Women's History Month, everyone. It's a perfect segue because before I get to my last pick, I'm going to play a 30-second or one minute snippet of my latest interview with the director of the uh, an amazing women's led short film called Radical Honesty that's premiering tomorrow at the South by Southwest Fest- Film Festival. I got to talk with director Bianca Paletti and writer actress Allison Goldfarb. 
I mean, it's kind of a simple premise. It's a, it's a date between two people meeting on a dating app, but it's kind of exploring um, this idea of wanting to do relationships in a different way um, and kind of using people who may like use this language of liberation for means of manipulation uh, to get what they want rather than a genuine desire to, to really uh, try something radical and new. All right. Yay. Now that we got that out of the way, uh, if you heard a little bit of the words from those lovely ladies, we're going to get to the last pick. And this is the movie that sparked my topic of this. I, th I was thinking uh, back in the day, because I'm a little bit older of a gentleman, um, uh, back in the day, I went to the movie theater and I saw uh, a movie and I don't remember what movie it was, uh, but a trailer played before it. This was in, I think it was 2006, I want to say 2004. Five. I'm going to get the information up here because as usual, I am the most prepared person. Uh, yes, it was in 2005. I saw a trailer for a movie called In the Mix. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Usher's in a movie and he's playing a DJ. I never saw this movie get released in a the theater. And now apparently it's been out. You can watch it on Stars. It's been on everything. And the main reason I never saw it come out in theaters is because it's a pile of shit. <laughs> never heard of it. Uh, yeah, apparently this is a thing. I, I guess Chaz Palminteri's in it. I don't know how the hell this happened. Uh, but this movie uh, came out and is a, said to have been a one-dimensional romantic comedy that feels like an old-fashioned vehicle picture. Uh, or, as they like to put it, right in my wheelhouse. Uh, sadly, it's not in my wheelhouse. I watched it just to make sure that it, the movie was actually real and it's terrible. No one go see it. Uh, even if you like Usher. And think he's amazing. And this is right off the heels of his Confessions album, which was a huge album in 2004, 2005. Uh, mm -hmm. It's awful. Good God. Usher cannot act. Everything is bad. I want to kid. I want to like drown myself after watching it. Uh, yeah, it sucks. Uh, but that gets that out of the way. What's that? 2.9 on IMDb. I didn't even know that. Dude, that's awful. That's awful. That's higher than I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. What's the Rotten Tomato oh score on that bad boy, Shay? Wait, is it IMDb? So it's out of 10? Yeah. Never mind. I was thinking Letterboxd. Oh, yeah. Out of five. Out of five. I was like, a 2.9. That's almost a three out of five. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, Metascore, it has a Metascore of 31. Let me look up what it has on Rotten Tomatoes. Give me that RT. Because the funny thing is, we talked about Rotten Tomato scores last, last month and, uh, yeah, all those movies deserved higher ones. This one probably is too high. Let's see. Okay. Do, do, do. In the meantime, I would like to say that as soon as we find out the score, we're going to talk about some of the, the, the more nefarious angles that the Jalo genre is tend to has tended to have in it. And then there was another thing I wanted to discuss with you a little bit in, uh, you know, stretch out a little bit with you. And that is, um, did you get that score? I... <laughs> I got that score. What is it? So 50% uh, audience score, which is interesting, but the tomato meter says 13%. Ooh, that's higher than I thought. One, 1. 1.8 on Letterboxd. <laughs> stinky. It's stinky. I like stinky. it. That's pretty rough. 
You guys should go see the new Jackass movie instead. It's way better. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. I watched it like three times. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's so funny. Our review will be out for that as soon as I finish uh, all the damn Sundance reviews that I have to still do in South by Southwest. In between all that, I got to do the actual movies that I watched. And yeah, Jackass, uh, it's it's so fucking good. It, I loved it. I enjoyed it. We now, needed a Jackass, another Jackass movie these times. Absolutely needed a new Jackass movie, Shay. That's completely correct. Uh, I want to yeah. say, um, like I was saying, one of the things with these Jalo films is they have some more nefarious angles to them. Uh, they have some things that happen in them that have occurred. And the one thing I wanted to discuss with you, Diana, is aren't a lot of the Jalo films a, a part of the video nasties? So I'm not, I can't really name drop any names offhand. I mean, I would say, uh, I don't know. Cause I, I really haven't seen any that would be cons- besides like, um, what have you done this launch that would be considered more like exploitative. Like I kind of try to avoid those if I can. Um, I'm actually very interested in that. And that might be like a topic on, a next episode of Jalo of the Month Club is like video nasties and Jalo. You may have to invite me hmm. with, for that episode since it was my suggestion. Yeah, I'm actually I'm making a little note of that now. I I'm very interested. And as I like as I mentioned at the top of the episode when I I started the podcast, it was more like um, you know growing up I like watched horror films from a young age, and then I like would go to Blockbuster and be like very attracted to these films that would be maybe part of video nasties and that led me to european horror and you know and that led me to the exploration of jalo so i haven't even really explored that aspect but i am looking forward to that look at us look at us just vibing just giving each other (laughs) ideas this is how this should work guys now and there's a lot of themes too in the jalos that are controversial much like that's why i brought up the solange film because a lot of those themes are really controversial and a lot of them are really disgusting do you find that to be a prevalent trope in the giallo genre yeah i mean one of the most um off-putting tropes that i personally see in these films is the murder of animals as an animal lover i see a lot of dog or cat killings and i always for every episode i do a trigger warning because even though Maybe there might be one dog murder. Um, I like to let people know in case they're very sensitive to that. Yeah, I see it all the time. I mean, of course, most most of these films are directed by white-ish Italian men. Um, so they're and it's from they're from the seventies. So there's a lot of different, um, you know, opinions on women's rights and and just idolizing the female body and 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 so on and so forth. So yeah, I I do see that that is extremely, yeah, that's a very much common, common theme throughout these films. I mean, one of, uh, one of the elements that I usually shout out at the beginning of each episode, like when I'm, I'm doing a little like rundown of like the classic tropes or elements is, um, gratuitous nudity. And it's typically 99% of the time women, like you don't see men except for there is a fantastic, um black comedy giallo called the editor which is kind of um a little bit of a spoof on giallo but it's fantastic it came out just a few years ago and there's a lot of male frontal in that one and that is amazing (laughs) 
Yes, it's a schlong fest. I am. Yeah, the editor. The editor's really good. Before you watch the editor, though, you should um, watch The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward because they're starring Edwidge Finnick, who I, who she's a Jolly Queen, um, because there are scenes that are shot for shot in the editor that are taken from from Strange Vice Miss Ward. There's some other scenes as well, but there's like very notable scenes that um, very interesting to see them just like redone and more of like a comedic, comedic tone. I love it. I, I, and I love that you mentioned that. I, I also wanted to mention and uh, just how heavy the male gaze is because the, these are all directed by men. There's just this, this heavy, violent stream of just very, I guess you would say, sort of what, what is the word i'm looking for um uh i forgot what i was gonna say i was gonna say something in regards to basically these are a bunch of neanderthals you know yeah i mean there's filmmakers that sometimes maybe use their position of authority for maybe not the best <laughs> best reasons or yeah. they just want to see some boobs in a movie and they make that movie but there are some some jalo films that like aren't focused on sexualizing women um like strange not strange um um oh god knife part like that one is that's not the female gaze in that one <laughs> like that's like the queer gaze and it's amazing uh but then you get films like um short night of glass doll which is our protagonist it's a male protagonist in that film and it's from a point of view of he is <laughs> he's paralyzed and he looks like he's dead and he's like in like a morgue type situation and he's going back through um different scenarios trying to figure out this how he got there essentially and that one is like a mystery that does not have like any of like the male gaze um messiah of evil that's more like a lovecraftian jalo uh red queen kill seven times it's more of like a fable type jalo i specifically try because there is this reoccurrence of <laughs> male gaze and like the same type of storyline and just like boobs for boobs sake I try to seek out these like different ones and like I'm lucky that like I'm like 50 50 on (laughs) on my watching but yeah I I think it just has to do with the times I mean I think it has to do with the period time period a lot of um I mean even with like the gore people you know directors were trying to like one-up each other I don't know for a fact, but, you know, maybe they're trying to one-up each other and, like, the sleaziness and, like, the nudity. I agree. Um, As far as, you know, looking back historically, even at our uh, own cinematic history in the U.S., there is a lot of ancient, there's a lot, there's an interesting dynamic in seeing filmmakers really trying to confront audiences with just everything and anything. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you, Diana. Like I, I see like both sides of it where it, it it it's either like balancing the line between exploitative or expressive. Because where what I find a lot of the times in Giallo is being in between being like, oh, this person is really pretty and really cool and expressive, this woman per se, and then they're in this like fantastic set and it's just very stylistically strong and 
it's it's almost like the artistic appreciation of violence like like I said Dario loves bashing people into windows but just seeing glass falling like glass everywhere on a person's body is is some there's something very like beautiful about that and and just like his use of like obnoxiously like incredibly fake blood but still just like the stark contrast of it uh on on the person is very interesting versus when it, it you know it is exploitative so there's definitely the yin and the yang of it not to also mention that um also it being women's history month it's important to to realize how much women shape the the horror genre in general um and i think that's also a really important perspective to to keep and to preserve well there aren't um, any final boys yeah. so that's fair yes <laughs> I mean, there are in the M Jollos. <laughs> I'm trying to think about it. I can't. I can't think of a single final boy. Well, I mean, Sleepaway Camp maybe. Um, can I recommend Dress to Kill by Brian De Palma? Uh, you oh, can always God. recommend De Palma on this channel. That is De Palma so is De Palma is one of those filmmakers that was very heavily influenced by Jallo. Clearly he was very heavily influenced by Alfred Hitchcock who has ties to Jallo. Um, and it all just comes full circle. That's why I'm always, that's why I just, I mean, the one word like I can describe Jallo is like divisive because you can just look at, you can be like, Oh, well Hitchcock, like rear window. That's, that's is rear windows Jallo or anything by De Palma. That's, Jallo, like it, it really just depends. It's eye of the beholder. I yeah, love Brian De Palma, so uh, good, good pull. Yeah, me too. Yeah, good pull. I, I, I wanted to say uh, that was a, a very hardened discussion about uh, the rather nefarious nature of some of these Jallo films, and of course, we would not have been able to complete that discussion without diana here she's so much smarter in this topic than myself or shay and usually shay is the smartest one in the room uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i mean when don was here yes (laughs) i love you (laughs) love you don mean it uh but i wanted to thank diana for joining us here this month on our podcast and then if people wanted to follow you all over the internet or listen to your podcast, where could they do that? Of course, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jallo Club, G-I-A-L-L-O, Giallo Club. Um, my podcast is available literally wherever you stream podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. It's, it's available everywhere. And I also take listener suggestions. So like if there's a film that I mentioned on this episode and you're like, oh, well, if you like that one, you would like this one, email me all the information's on Instagram. You just click a little email. Um, and then if you want to follow myself personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox at Diana NK, D-I-A-N-N-A-N-K. Um, but I am so happy to be here. My podcast is in the third year and I've been uh, lucky enough to have like such opportunities as interviewing Claudio Simonetti from Goblin. I interviewed James Wan about Malignant. And I am so excited to share this episode with my listeners as well. We're really happy to have you here. I'm ecstatic. Uh, Shay, where can they find you and all of your insanity if they need to follow you? 
Hi, everyone. So you may know me from uh, Film Snob Reviews, but if you don't also already know, I am a comic book artist and I have uh, some new books, new projects coming out. You might also see my work in uh, various album covers uh, for underground brands, bands or whatever, but you can see my work uh, on my TikTok. Please don't look it up. It's embarrassing, but there's, I'm, I'm, I'm catching a little virality. So if you want to catch that, um, but most of my stuff is on my art Instagram. So it's going to be Limina. So like liminal, but without the L. So Limina underscore 1999. And uh, yeah, don't talk to me. Thanks. She also has a Facebook. Don't follow her there. Don't follow me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, really don't do it. Uh, and of course, William here with Film Snob Reviews, the head snob in charge. You know, the big honcho, El Jefe, as I'm affectionately known. You can find me everywhere. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch, because I do like me some video games at Film Snob Reviews. And then if you want to follow my personal, which don't do it, uh, it's Will, W-I-L-L, Eggiesabal, E-G-U-I-Z-A-B-A-L. That's my actual name. You can't spell it and you never will be able to. Uh, like I said, I'm so happy this month that we got to talk, uh, to, talk to Diana and that we had a mostly female cast this month for Women's um, Appreciation Month, International Women's Appreciation Month. And this is on the post day after international women's day which was a few days ago uh thank you guys so much for joining me once again and for film snap reviews it's william and we out <laughs>